0: lovely neighborhood. Welcome back to another dose of Yays of Our Lives. We touched on Lunar New Year last week, just before Ange went off to celebrate with her family in Vietnamese style. But today we are joined by the incredible Francesca Hung to dive a little deeper into the celebrations and her experience of growing up Asian in Australia, which I think will be absolutely fascinating given that we share that experience, but from completely different backgrounds and perspectives. So lovely Francesca, welcome to to seize the yay. thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me I'm
1: so excited I have been following along your podcast for a long time so it's very surreal to be on it now
0: oh stop I've been <laughs> following along your journey for so long this happens all the time where I just I try to start the interview but I'm actually just fangirling for the first half an hour <laughs> like oh my god I
1: love you so much <laughs> to be honest in the email when I got the email saying that you were wanting to tee this up I sent my agent an email saying oh my god I love her I've been following her for so long <laughs> so so, i go here
0: too. It's fine. Oh, I'm so glad it's mutual. I come on real hard, real fast, and then I don't go away. So <laughs> be prepared. Perfect. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Amazing. Our dogs have already met each other. This is just. love match waiting to happen. (laughs) So many people, in fact, the nation probably already knows of you as Miss Universe 2018, our first winner of Asian descent as well, which was history being made at the time. But a really big part of this show is, as you'll know, if you've been listening along, is also sharing the parts that we don't hear as much about of people's stories. You know, it's easy to look at a title and look at a point in time in your life and assume that you're always meant to be there. And that was the grand plan. But I think it's so important and interesting to figure out, you know, all the steps that it took you to get there and all the steps that you hope to still take on that journey rather than just being, you know, one title and and one You know, there's more than one chapter to everyone's pathway. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, younger you and sort of the steps that led you here? I know it probably wasn't as linear as it (laughs) sounds. I read that you were actually really shy and being the host and face of E! Australia now. I can't imagine that, but shy Northern Beaches girl with an older brother, a dog Charlie, you're Chinese (laughs) and Irish Australian. Tell us about... Well well, read. Little Francesca. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I'm a fangirl, babe. There's more I could dish, but I'll leave that to you.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, look, so growing up, my dad immigrated from China and my mom is, you know, Aussie, lots of generations in Australia, but, you know, come from Ireland, the convicts, and (laughs) they always like to bring that up. But no, I grew up in Sydney in quite a... I don't know, white neighborhood. And so there weren't many kids that looked like me, you know, especially when I went to primary school, maybe there was like one or two, maybe Asian students at my school. And then again, in high school, it was like, we were the absolute minority. And I just, well, I was really shy, even from like, you know, baby, baby mum would say that I just wouldn't go to anybody else. And I was, I don't know, I just didn't have much confidence as a kid. But with my family, I was very, outgoing and I would put on shows. I danced all throughout my childhood. So I loved that. I always think I liked putting on a different character. So I could get on stage mm-hmm. if I was playing somebody else, just not myself, you right. know, and I yeah, think back to like my high school years, You know my school was quite an academic school and they put a lot of focus on, you know, speeches and giving speeches in every single class. And I remember every night before a speech, I would be sick with anxiety and with crying and I couldn't just I could not deal with the fact of like getting up in front of my classmates and having to give a speech just it was my worst fear so when I had to do drama it was compulsory at one year hated it (gasps) just all of that stuff like you know I could play the piano growing up and mum used to always say to me please like put yourself forward at school for the recitals and all that stuff and I would always say no way. I can't play in front of anybody. Just anything to do with putting myself into the public domain, I would just absolutely retreat from. So it makes complete sense that I decided to go into <laughs> the media. Uh, exactly. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> totally straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. So I
1: think if you were to ask anyone that I went to school with, you know, wouldn't Tesca ever make it into the media? Everyone would be like, what? No (laughs) way. And I actually find it quite funny. My mum is the one person, you know, your mums know you better than anyone. She's my best friend. But even she to this day always says, I I just, I don't know how you've ended up. (laughs) (laughs) What is this situation? How (laughs) did this happen? (laughs) She says, you know, I know you can do anything and you could have done it, but I just never in a million years would I have thought that shy little girl would want to pursue a career in media. But I think someone once told me that what you're, you know, most afraid of is sometimes what you're best at. <gasps>
0: I love that. I, I don't
1: know what, where it comes from, but I think maybe it's that you want to do well on something. I think maybe I'm scared because I want to do well at it.
0: and Because you care yeah, about Yeah, I think I more. care. Yeah. yeah. And also
1: I think sometimes that nervous energy makes me perform better. I don't know. I wish it did, but it does. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think even at this sort of early point in the story, it's already so reassuring for anyone listening that if you, you know, do, I think we silo and categorize ourselves as the shy girl or as the person who's got X characteristics. And that can be really limiting if you always see yourself as that person and think, well, that will never change. Like I could never do anything that doesn't match that description, but you sort of pushing through that to follow a passion that doesn't necessarily make sense if you knew childhood you. Yeah that in itself is exciting because anyone listening who is already thinking, oh, I could never do that because I'm too shy. It's, I think we can really change those traits if we really want to. Mm-hmm. If you find something that you're really excited about or you stumble into an opportunity that reveals to you you're actually better at it than you thought you were, yeah. you don't always have to be the shy girl forever. And equally, you don't have to be the loud performance drama girl either. Yeah. You can also you know, retreat to an office job if you find that later in your life that suits you better. I just think we aren't flexible enough yeah. with how we perceive ourselves and what that means for our future
1: I think as well I mean that's a great point point. and I think as well though it's also important to note that just because I am you know in the media and I, I'm not sure about you as well but for me in my personal life I, I'm not the outgoing loud person and I think people sometimes think okay if you're going to be in film or tv or radio or you know, media, you have to be this outgoing person. And I really don't think you do. I think, you know, yeah. it's about like, you know, like anybody, when you're at work, you're, you're work person. And this is work for me. I love it. And I get to bring out this side of me, but then in my home environment, I'm completely different again. So mm. I think, yeah, you can be completely multifaceted.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's also something I think a lot of people who aren't in the industry, particularly in media and presenting, I think they forget that just because you access a really wide audience and same with podcasting, I don't see anyone who's (laughs) listening. So I actually just feel like it's one-on-one. So in terms of being able to perform in front of a crowd, I never have to see the crowd. It's like the ideal scenario for someone who, who just wants to have a chat with a mate and then People happen to listen, you know, after the fact. Same with being on TV. I mean, you're with the camera crew, but you're not seeing all the faces who are watching the television. So you could actually be a really shy person and even an introvert and still be able to present really easily. Isn't that so weird? You would never think about that. (laughs) Mind-boggling. (laughs) Mind-boggling. And so it's interesting that you did choose to do an undergraduate degree and then went on to do a master's as well. And I think. Sometimes it's quite culturally influenced that academia is prioritised as, you know, something that parents aspire to for children or it could have been, you know, a personal choice. But either way, it's interesting that you chose to do arts and sociology and then publishing because, again, you know, what did you go into those degrees thinking they would turn into because they don't also necessarily equate to... To be Australia, what was the thought process there?
1: I like that you brought up that there's some sort of cultural motivation behind that because when I was finishing high school, I had said to my parents that I really wanted to get into modeling and something more creative. I thought, oh, maybe I could do some photography, yada yada.
0: And, it, <laughs> Arty <farty>. yeah, and <laughs> even though my
1: dad is, you know, the Chinese one, my mother. She likes to refer to herself as a subtle tiger mom. So
0: she, she's the tiger mom. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Irish. Wow. My mom was
1: obsessed with the Chinese culture when she met my father. And she really thought, okay, well, I'm going to be the influence in this family. And she's very much <laughs> a matriarch. So she said to me, Jessica, you can do whatever you want to do. You can model. You can do whatever you want. But you you're going to university. And it was kind of that more old school way of thinking where I I don't believe that it's essential to go to university in any means, but that was just the way that she wanted to do it. She never got the opportunity Mm -hmm. to go to university and wanted me to have that. And then it comes back to my dad went to university and, you know, taught medicine and the medical school school, like (laughs) classic Chinese immigrant story. Yeah. (laughs) And and he wanted me to go to Sydney Uni. So there was that sort of cultural pressure that I did feel. Mm -hmm. But I kind of did it in my way by saying I'll go, but I'm doing – arts and sociology, so something completely different. In protest? Yes. I think mum wanted <laughs> I me... I will not
0: do science.
1: <laughs> mum wanted me to be a psychologist, you know, there was all, <laughs> all of this. <laughs> no, but I got to choose my one to do and um, that was a really interesting time for me because I still wasn't, I don't know, I just wasn't great at studying. I found learning from books and like sitting in classes just didn't really get the best out of me. Mm. So... At the same time, I was modeling and that's when I started looking into, well, I had a hundred different jobs as well at the same time, like hospitality, events and recruitment and who knows what. And that's when I felt like I wanted to go and pursue something in the media industry. And then that's how I ended up applying for Miss Universe. So it was during uni going, I don't want to work at a desk job. It's not for me. I need something that's going to let me be creative. And um, Wow. Yeah. But then I don't oh know why gosh. publishing was then, again, I went through another period where I was like, actually, no, I don't want to be in front of the camera. I think <laughs> I think I should be behind <laughs> the scenes, but something something's still creative. So I thought I'd go into book publishing and I, I love writing. So that's where all that came from. And then I finished that degree now and I think, I don't know if I'm ever going to use it, but um, <laughs> yep. I, I feel like that's I got it. the sentiment cool. of university. I don't know if I'm ever going to use it, but...
0: I've got it. Yeah, and I think that there is a lot of – it's wonderful that general, general society is becoming more open-minded to not necessarily needing to, you know, as a default, have a university degree. Like that's not the only pathway. And the education system definitely is skewed towards certain types of intelligence but disadvantages others. But I also think that if you aren't particularly sure what you want to do – that uni is a great place to be while you figure that out because you it's going to take you a certain amount of years probably to work out what you like and what you don't like. You're not going to get any more data to help you with that problem if you just sit at home <laughs> kind of thinking it over and over. Yep. And even if you don't use what you learn, I don't think anything is ever a waste when you're in that decision making phase because you're you're meeting new people, you're learning new things and even just the organizing of your thoughts that you learn to do in a uni degree and sitting down to time manage and you know meeting colleagues and hearing other people's stories and how they use their degrees like if it's not costing you time in a different career that you don't even you haven't even decided that that's what you want to do then I think there's been a really good swing away from uni being the only pathway, but sometimes people swing too far away. Like, oh, you don't need that. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that it's a waste if you have it. It can still be really valuable.
1: I mean, one of the greatest things I got out of uni is that, you know, when I was at school, someone's telling you where to be, what time to be there, (laughs) you know.
0: When you eat, (laughs) when you wee. what you're
1: wearing, you know, do your homework, these are your exams, like it's all set out for you. And so you don't – I mean – I wasn't the best studier at school either, I'm not going to lie, but um, I still had someone sort of tell me what to do. Whereas uni, it was the first time where you're, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. No one's going to tell you to sit down and do your uni homework. You know, that's all up to you. And the excuses of, oh, I didn't, you know, get time, I had training in the afternoon, that's not going to fly with a uni teacher. So it taught me so much about, you know, relying on myself and how well I wanted to do. So it was all,
0: mm-hmm. all on me in a way. Yeah, that independence, definitely that first few months of uni, I was like, ew, really? We have to figure out, like, even the points you need to graduate and stuff. I'm like, no one, there's no diagram. Like, no one's telling me what to do here. How do you figure it out? I know. Rude. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's also really interesting that you did mention there was kind of a family and cultural element because as much as sometimes it sounds like a bit of a stereotype, the tiger parents or the academic pressure or... Playing piano from a young age, like their stereotypes, often because a lot of people have that experience, and a lot of listeners have probably had that experience. And I think it's fascinating for you and I to be talking about this as well because we both have quite an Asian appearance, but you have a completely Caucasian mother. I also have a completely Caucasian mother and Caucasian father being adopted, so that's a totally different, weird, unique perspective yeah. on growing up Asian in Australia. But how? And for your brother as well, like how did the Harfi identity play out for you? How did that you know those cultural values and and often immigrant values of hardworking and taking every opportunity and the pressure that sometimes puts on a lot of people to do well? Like how did that? Overlay on top of everything as a child and a young person that we're already worried about figuring out our life, you know, how did that play out for you? Yeah. Without even getting to the point of we'll talk about kind of racism and hmm. discrimination later, but just internally, how did that play out for you? And how does it continue?
1: I think I want to bring up I remember I found it online again, but I remember reading this article that Ben Law did with SBS. And he said, let me find quickly, he said, growing up Asian Australian, I think is a slightly disorienting experience. I think that sums it up really well. It's disorienting because Mm. you are almost caught between two cultures and you're, you know, when you're young, it's so hard to understand where you fit in and all, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was to fit in, that was it. Mm. Like that seems like the main thing was I want to fit in. I don't want to be different. You know, I wanted to be like my peers. And so you're kind of constantly battling between, your cultural identity, and then the country's identity.
0: Mm, that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, yeah, there was definitely what was going on at my home. There was certain, I remember, like, I mean, little. it's little things, like it can be a stereotype, but I think Asian families can be quite strict at times. Mm-hmm. And although my yeah. mom is Caucasian, she came from a very strict family herself. And then so when she met <laughs> my dad, it kind of, They kind of meshed because my dad had a Double whammy. (laughs) My dad growing up, he he was up at, he was expected of them. He was, there was six children in the family when my dad came to Australia and they were immigrants. And so, yeah, they all got into selective school and my dad Mm. would get up at 4am every morning before school, study for three hours and then go to school, come home, study again help make dinner, and then it was Ben. Like, he never had friends over. He worked in the family shop on the weekends. All the kids lived at home until they met partners and got married. Like, it was very traditional.
0: Traditional. Yeah, yeah. in that
1: sense. And there was a lot expected of them because, you know, it was that kind of that Dad W. talks about the migrant mentality where you are so lucky to have come to this country. You have to do everything in your power to thank your parents for giving you this opportunity and making the most out of your new country. So yeah. I think dad brought that pressure in to us as kids as well and mum as well. And so I remember little things, like it seemed so silly, but, you know, I was always told how lucky I was to go to the school or to live in the area I was living in and how I should be thankful and, and do well to sort of show your grandparents. Show your gra-
0: gratitude. yeah, Yeah.
1: And, you know, like I have other friends who were, you know I remember as I got older to high school I was the youngest one of the youngest in my year group I was 17 when I went to uni and oh, we're the same yeah, baby same
0: person yeah
1: and like little silly things like a lot of my friends had fake IDs in year 12 and I really wanted a fake ID and I remember the but even no one looked like you No no one looked like me. That's the problem. (laughs) You have to find anyone.
0: Bugger.
1: But, you know, some people were getting getting the IDs that were scratched and things like that. Anyway, I remember my mum, before I mentioned it to her, not that I was going to, but she said, you, like it was, I was never going to be allowed a fake ID. Whereas I had other girlfriends whose parents were like, oh, you're so young, I feel bad for you. You know, yes, go out and do what you want to do or drink but like for me it was if I was going to get a fake ID like I would be out of the house out of the family or yeah <laughs> I, I wasn't allowed to drink you know and I didn't drink I was really good I never drunk um underage and I mean I, I was such a good girl because I was so worried about ever doing anything that would make my parents not proud of me and that I yeah. think comes into that you know, Chinese culture of wanting to make your parents proud. And I'm sure every mm. every kid wants to do that, but there is a lot of pressure on, I think sometimes Asian children to do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think also I was similar to you at school in that our suburb was, you know, very Caucasian and my schools were the same. And so, on top of, you know, the cultural pressure that you were facing, I can imagine that then you're sort of the Togan Asian friend as well. So other people expect you to be good at maths and expect you to be doing piano. And then when you do do piano, you don't also get as much credit for it because it's also kind of like, oh, well, you, you're you Chinese, so you should be playing piano. You know, like all those funny things. Absolutely. And- it's only as an adult that you look back at a lot of those. I love that you said it's all the small things. It's not necessarily an overt thing that you can put it down to, but I would spend so long suppressing the things that made me seem different. Obviously, there's certain things we can't change. I cannot change my eyelids. I cannot change my complexion, my hair color, but I well, I could. I changed my hair color. I would like put on a really bogan accent like We had a handbook, you know, my parents aren't Korean, but we did grow up celebrating parts of our Korean identity, but I would never talk about it at school. I was like, I want tip-top white bread sandwiches with Vegemite. I do not want any rice anywhere near me. Like you just shun everything that's interesting about you because as kids, we think difference is bad. And then it's so interesting in any culture to see as adults, we're kind of like obsessed with the things that are culturally beautiful about us. And we want to learn more about it. But as a kid, it's like embarrassing to have food that smells or to be like, oh, my eyes don't do that makeup look. So I, you know, just yeah, that uh, I have no boobs. Like there's just so many things that I'm like, oh, how hard did I try to not be me? I hear you. I mean, it
1: started with little remarks, like there was another girl in my year that had the same name as me, same first name as me. And there's a lot of girls that have the same name, lots of Kates, lots of Sophies, and, but they would just be called their name. And this is always just like being one of those things that stuck with me, but mm. to differentiate us <laughs> and, you know, people, when people would talk about us or boys would bring it up. It was Hot Cheska an Asian Cheska. that was my new name <gasps> and you know I don't think anyone meant anything you know really malicious by it but like it just yeah. one of those things you know you you're a 13 14 15 year old that is like oh my gosh like I'm being referred to the Asian the Asian one and I just remember it affected me so so much and to the point mm-hmm. where I mean, I was pretty horrible, but I remember wanting to change my last name from Hung to Hegarty, which is my mum's last name, which is in my last <laughs> name, and because I just oh. wanted to disassociate with anything that made me Asian, because yeah. it was almost like, oh, well, Asians aren't cool. And I remember I actually wasn't very good at maths growing up. It was not my oh, nice, nice strong suit, <laughs> but I would – like parade that around and try and tell the boys or tell the girls like I'm not even good at maths and it was yeah again what you were saying. I'm trying to say I'm I'm not like the other, you know, Asians. I'm 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 Australian kind of thing. And I remember, you know, little things. Like I'd hear girls talking at school and they'd be like, oh I remember one, one person once said to me, Oh my mum doesn't want to go to Chatswood, which is like quite a culturally diverse like Chinese area suburb in Sydney. And she said, my mom doesn't want to go to Chatswood because of all those smelly Asians and their smelly food. And I was sitting in the group at the time. And I remember she turned to me and she said, oh, don't take offence, Cheska. Like, you're not like them. We don't, like, put you in that group. And that, for mm. me, was like, yes, 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 yes. Like, yes, I'm not part yes, that Yes, I'm not in that
0: group. But yeah. now I look back and
1: I'm like, that's horrible. I mean, I I don't know. It's funny. And then as I got older and looked back on that, I just... Can't believe how much I wanted to suppress of my identity to fit in, whereas now I'm like, God, my gosh, like give me more of that culture. I want more of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it makes you so interesting. It makes you so different and that's the bit that is your, you know, it's such a point of differentiation to celebrate now, but it's so crazy how long I think a lot of people spend totally disassociating with a big part of their identity for that whole conforming kind of, know, to just feel like you fit in. And I I even remember, particularly because I I didn't have Asian parents, I was always at pains, like I had to bring it up all the time for that same reason, to be like, I'm not one of those Asians. I'm like a different, I'm like an Australian Asian. (laughs) So even at school, when it came to choosing languages... I would choose non-Asian languages to study because I just thought if I study that language, they're going to think. And you know, not not many schools offered Korean, so I was like, well, if I do Chinese, they're going to think I'm Chinese, and they're going to think that I grew up with it. So it looks like I didn't, you know, make any effort to speak it because I already did. Or if I do Japanese, it will be the same thing. And like those decisions that I, I only now reflecting of, like, oh my god, I can't believe I even made decisions based on trying to pretend that I wasn't Asian when I clearly I've done the MyDNA test or 23andMe or whatever it was. Mm. I thought there might be because I'm adopted. I was like, there's going to be some cool exotic like (laughs) quarter Venezuelan or something. It was like 99.9% East Asian and then like 0.0001% the other Asian, like it was all Asian, <laughs> all the so Asian big, continent, nothing anywhere else. I was like, <laughs> "Wow, no exotic surprises there." <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's so sad that we spend so long, and and now we're like, God, I wish I had really embraced those parts of me when I was younger and just enjoyed them for all this time. But did
1: your parents? I obviously, you know, I know you're adopted, but did your parents try to instill some kind of the Korean culture? you growing up and now do you look back and think thank god they did some of that stuff because you probably have a bit more of a
0: yeah I think they were very very open I think because we were dealing with looking different and having a different family structure that on like that was another layer of oh but your parents aren't your real parents like there was another level of questions about being different they were very careful and great at being never pressuring us to accept or reject anything. That was sort of like if you're really interested in your culture, we'll take you to Korean camp, you can go to Korean school if you want to, you can travel there, you know, we'll, we'll fly you whenever you want. If you want to meet your birth parents, if you don't want to, whatever your journey is, we'll support you. Mm-hmm. And I think because there was no pressure either way and we did want to assimilate so much, we probably didn't want to learn Korean. Yeah. I didn't feel like I identified with, particularly in a, Western versus Eastern cross-cultural adoption. It's so different culturally that you can't identify. Like I couldn't recognize myself in anything that I saw about Korea. So I was just, I just pushed it away for so long. I'd kind of like put on the traditional dress at you know, gatherings of a couple of families that had Korean kids, but it was more like dress ups rather than understanding what we were actually doing. And it's only later in life that now I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful culture. I've been back vol- you know, voluntarily as an adult and appreciated it for what it is. But also, very much felt like a foreigner going there. And if anyone comes up to me and speaks Korean, that's so strange for me because I'm like, what? Don't you know I'm a bogus? Like, look. <laughs> in my face and then I'm like oh I forget my face looks like (laughs) you know it's just like it's a weird it's I sit in this strange universe but I think what's wonderful now is I think that's cool yeah when I was a kid I was like that makes me the biggest loser so I have to overcompensate in every way and now I'm like no that's a cool story that's memorable that's different it's interesting yeah but it just takes so long for us all to get there
1: yeah I remember something about that funny you know obviously growing up I was the, the Asian friend or whatever it was. And then when I went to uni, it was the first time I was amongst uh, the, the majority. And I thought I was part of the majority. Yeah. For once. I thought, oh my gosh, I found my people. Look at all these amazing Asian students. And every class, I would go to them and I'd be like, hi, I'm Francesco and introduce myself. And <laughs> yeah, I'm Asian too. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, like, where are you from? I'd be like, Australian. They're like, oh, nice. And I'm like, you're not. Usually everyone asks, like, no, where are you really from? And they'd be like, you are yeah. Australian. And I would try and hang out with the Asian kids and they would be speaking Mandarin or Cantonese or Korean and I couldn't understand them and so I wasn't part of their groups and so I was oh. in this weird <laughs> spot at uni where I wasn't with the other Western kids mm. and I wasn't part of the Asian clan and I was kind of, that was the first time that I was really uh, was I was kind of grieving, almost missing yeah. out on
0: more that belonging yeah. feeling. Yeah,
1: and I kind of wish that I had learnt Mandarin growing up, or that I had tried to understand my culture. It was it was a cultural shock, almost not realizing that I didn't know as much as I thought I did about my own history.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people who are half Asian and half European or Western or Caucasian do find it easier to play up their Caucasian side when they're going through that whole younger assimilate, try and be like everyone else phase and then regret it later when they're like, no, (laughs) I wish I'd learned the language. I wish I'd learned the culture. I wish I'd taken that opportunity. But it's all part of finding your identity, right? And finding the balance in between. And it's so amazing that as you've come around to kind of embracing this part of your identity, you've also done so in a way that's made history for visibility for people of Asian descent everywhere. There'd never been a Miss Universe Australia who had not been Caucasian and not fitted a mould. And I think the quote I've seen you quoted quite a few times saying that, you know, internationally everyone has an idea of what Miss Australia coming to that competition would look like. And for the first time to see someone of Asian descent, which is actually a really big portion of our population, was jarring and new but so exciting. You were our first winner of Asian Descent. What did that feel like for you? Gosh,
1: I I get sort of goosebumps now because (laughs) it meant a lot to me. I mean, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. It's so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, as I was saying before, that I was a shy kid growing up and I never thought I'd see myself in the media. I think a part of that comes back to never seeing yourself reflected in mainstream media. So when I became Miss Universe Australia, even though, you know, pageants may not be for everybody, I remember having some beautiful messages from, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh.
0: oh, it's, new <laughs> oh <year.">
1: I love <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it's yeah. a lot,
0: babe. It's a lot. <laughs> I think, you know, like I
1: look back to those messages from, you know, Asian families saying, oh, like my daughter has someone now that represents them, you know, and like that. For
0: me, was why I get emotional. <laughs> oh, I love it! It's so beautiful because it it is like one of the first platforms that younger Asian girls could see someone yeah. doing something that that, and this is important as well. That wasn't token the token Asian. You didn't get this. Is going to sound. I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way, but it wasn't <laughs> you turning up in Harry Potter as Cho Chang.
1: It's, Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like. Is <laughs>
0: that <Exactly. laughs> right? Like, you weren't cast in it because the character was Asian. You were there because yeah. somebody wins Miss Universe Australia yeah. and it happened to be you. And that's so significant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, even like now, I pinch myself, obviously, doing what I'm doing with E and working with all these amazing brands. I don't feel like. Even though I have heard people say, you know, you're only there because, you know, diversity is the, the flavour of the month or whatever it is, I actually don't feel like that's true. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm there for what I can offer, that it's an added bonus, that I happen to be, you know, Asian-Australian and in this climate I think that the more representation of that in mainstream media is only going to be so beneficial to young yeah. kids and even people who come to Australia now, even now, and I'm looking for someone to represent them because that is what I wish I had growing up.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think sometimes tokenism is, I mean, obviously it's not ideal. You Ideally, we would want tokenism not to be the way that people get represented, but I also do think, and it's probably a bit of a controversial opinion, but I do think tokenism is the start. It's It's having a token Asian in something is better than not having an Asian, and it's often just the first step in a spectrum of things that needs to happen. So even though it's not ideal and sometimes I do turn up at jobs where I I, I clearly understand the role that I'm playing, even though, you know, sometimes you do get asked, like, does that make you frustrated to be the token Asian at certain things? And I'm like, once upon a time maybe, but now I'm like, well, it's better than not being here. And at least this is the first inner pathway to it becoming more normal and to diversity becoming just rather than the trendy thing to do, just the normal thing to do. And I think, unfortunately, we do have to sit through a bit of the tokenism phase, but it's got to be if it's got to be someone like, I'm happy to wear that hat. I'm not going to say, no, I don't want that great <laughs> opportunity. And then you know, it's cutting off your nose despite your yeah. face being like, mm-mm, I won't be your token. I'm like, hell yes. <laughs> yeah. I will be your token until I don't need to be your token. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think some people get very upset by tokenism in and of itself. And I'm like, actually it can play a good role in a spectrum of events. As long oh, as we don't love- stay there forever. Yeah.
1: No, but that's a really good point. That really valid point you make. It's true. It does need to start from somewhere and, Yeah, if it is one initially, I mean, not ideal, but it needs to start. And then obviously, yeah, the more we see it. I mean, I think a good example is I don't know, 10 years ago on TV, you'd watch ads and they might be the token agent. And now, if you flick, I mean, I don't usually watch ads, but when I was watching the tennis, I was seeing a lot of ads because it was free to air. And I, I just noticed that almost every second ad, it wasn't just a token agent. There was, you know, you could see there was, Indian Asians there was Chinese but so many different cultural Mm. you know diversities in each ad and it wasn't tokenism anymore it was like Mm. mixed race families and everything and I, I feel like people now even will turn on the tv and that they're not even going to associate that with like targeted marketing towards an Asian community it's just like that's Australia
0: yeah and I feel like Hollywood is getting a lot better at that as well like there's a lot of shows coming out where Asian actors and actresses are headlining roles that aren't for an Asian character like they're just a character and then the actor cast is Asian and that and in any race actually like the person just happens to be of X Race, gender, yeah. sexuality, whatever it happens to be—you know—it's yeah. just I like that it's really shifting and and main characters like superhero characters as I well. Know. That's so exciting! I used, for like young the kids. best. Also,
1: I'm like like, getting goosebumps. You, like, I'm a superhero fanatic. So, like when I see, <laughs> like when I watched Shang Chi the other day, I was like. Oh, my God, yes, this
0: is such a win. And so I imagine that embracing things like Lunar New Year have gone from something that you wouldn't mention at school, that you have your own New Year and your family's doing all kinds of weird things for it, to something that you're celebrating and that's exciting and that you, you know, you, you research and you understand and that's just happened. Like Lunar New Year was last Tuesday night, I think, into Wednesday was... Uh, New Year's, and, but the whole kind of festival goes up until I think yeah.
1: the 15th of February, is that right? Yes, it goes for two weeks, yeah.
0: So how has wrapped into the idea of, you know, tips for anyone listening who is struggling to embrace their uniqueness but starting on that journey, how have you come to appreciate celebrations like Lunar New Year and how does your family celebrate it? What do you What did you do this year? Yeah. And how can we understand a little bit more about, you know, what the celebration means?
1: Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> So, Chinese New Year or lunar New Year, which is now a much more inclusive term I mean growing up it was Chinese New Year for us, but now it's you know lunar New Year, which I think is really beautiful because it's not just the Chinese that celebrate it and it is it is i don't know I, I I try to liken it to our New Year's Eve, but it's so so much more in a way um because it's all about it goes obviously for two weeks and it's there's just such a buzz in the air. It's all about like new life, prosperity. Unlike sometimes New Year's, I don't know, growing up in Australia, is all about (laughs) family with your friends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of prosperity going on there.
1: (laughs) Lunar Lunar New Year is really about family. For me growing up, that's what it was about as well. Um, So it's almost like Christmas. Um, Yeah. But growing up, we celebrate every Chinese New Year. Growing up, um, it was flew we under the radar. It was myself and my family and my cousins and that sort of thing. And perhaps sometimes, some of my mum, dad's friends that might have had a tie to the Asian community, we'd obviously get dressed up in our chong sums. And we would go either to Chinatown or we'd go to a Chinese restaurant and have the dragons, which scared me half to <gasps> death every year
0: they're terrified, like the huge ones <laughs> Yeah, with the person is terrifying yeah, for a child <laughs>
1: because it's so noisy anyway and obviously you know we would have red packets given to us which is a symbol of uh, it's the best thing ever
0: so much money
1: <laughs> okay no i have to say though when i went to uni and met all of my you know chinese friends they told me about how much money they used to get in their red packets I, When I was growing up, it was like maybe $5, which I'm not complaining. Oh, like the Tooth
0: Fairy. Yes. Like the Tooth Fairy. But in China, they say, no, it's like hundreds
1: they get given in these red packets from (gasps) from their aunties and uncles anyway.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, so my like once I started to understand the whole like, you know, take advantage of the the parts of being Asian that are cool and just ignore the other bits kind of thing. I went through that phase. I was like, I want a bloody red packet. Like, (laughs) dude, I know you guys aren't Asian, but like, Give me a red envelope, please.
1: Yeah. Oh god. Maybe this year. I'll send you one this year. I've got no I've got no money. Thanks, gal.
0: I'll get five dollars too and I'll be like, Wow, I appreciate it. Thanks, babe.
1: (laughs) But you know, like we would celebrate like that on the weekend. And I remember coming to school on the Monday and I would never bring it up with any of my friends at school because one, I didn't want them to think that I was weird, and two, they the whole weekend would always pass without them even knowing that it was Lunar New Year it wasn't really something that was talked about or they would see whereas fast forward to now where I for last year I celebrated Lunar New Year at Crown Sydney and I put up a lot of stuff on my social media and it was sort of the first time ever that I have publicized Lunar New Year and I can't believe the reaction I received from it and even now seeing all of the the banners and the posters and like even when I drive around the street, you know, everyone's got their lanterns up. Like our house obviously has the lanterns up, but we've always done that. And I don't know, just even having friends. I mean, on Instagram there's the year of the tiger emoji thing. I don't know how you explain it. And (laughs) I keep thinking through it and I keep seeing all these people I know posting about it. And honestly, like that blows me away because it was something that I never spoke about. And it was something that was reserved just for myself and my family. And now it's something that is celebrated amongst the wider Australian community, non Asian community, which I think is. So cool, and I, I, I'm. I think it's awesome. I don't know why. Why
0: was so cool? Holiday? I don't get it. So, <laughs> so cool, and like the amount of people that even know that it's the year of the tiger. Even small cultural <laughs> things like that, that people are like, yeah, year of the tiger. I'm like, wow, this is this is wonderful. Like that people are, in, and all kinds of communities. Like I feel like more people are aware of when Greek Easter is. Like yep. people are getting more engaged in the diversity of the communities around them, and like we have a yaya who lives next door every greek easter she brings over extra lamb like you know you oh, kind yes. of like yeah. it's it's beautiful when you can embrace someone else's culture even if it's not part of your own so yeah. i love that so much and this year it's it's gone even further to seeing mainstream outlets like crown actually commissioning pieces to to further this, like, sharing of, of heritage and culture. So tell us about the feature film and the activations that are going on this year.
1: Yeah, so when I went down to Crown, we got to shoot this amazing, you know, feature film. And oh, I think I was actually just, I was, first of all, just chuffed to be involved with some of the other, people that were part of it because like Sean Dong, for instance, like he's doing incredible work for, you know, um, (laughs) immigrants and migrants and I'm sitting there thinking Gosh, am I really in the same league here? I don't know if I should be here. Gal,
0: you are Miss Universe Australia, yes.
1: <laughs> thank, you. thank you, I needed that. This is good great for my confidence. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'm here to fangirl you. I validate you yeah, anytime.
1: You. <laughs> no, but the film was just all about showing, obviously Melbourne has had such, I mean, out of every state, I think you guys have had it. Had the pandemic has hit you. Unbelievably hard, and I know I've talked to a lot of my friends in Melbourne, and everyone said that the city is just trying to get back on its feet. And usually, Melbourne is such a vibrant, exciting, culturally diverse, you know, city. So the film is all about, you know, how Melbourne's getting back on its feet and um, celebrating the amazing things that the city has to offer. Which you know, and Crown I think it's really great that they are putting such an emphasis on Lunar New Year. And mm. all the activations, they believe they have. I mean, I'm not there to see it, unfortunately, but I will be going to Crown Sydney tomorrow night, and I will see all of you know their festivities. But I believe that Crown Melbourne have the roaming tigers, as in not real tigers. <laughs> <'Cause it's> not <laughs> Can you imagine how amazing? No, <laughs> no, you know the, the you know Chinese New Year tigers roaming, which I'm sure will be very loud. But the drums, um, and I believe they've changed the whole atrium um, into a big Lunar New Year activation. So anyone in Melbourne, go and check it out because it's not just for the Asian community.
0: It's so cool. They really put a lot of effort into making it really interactive and like the whole, I feel like when you go into a venue that big and they've dedicated it to lanterns and decorations, it just, it's so infectious, the energy that you get from, you know, being in an activation like that. And, I love that the filmmakers are also Melbourne-based. Like they really, you know, tr- were supporting locals in producing this whole thing as well, yeah. and helping kind of you know Melburnians. Well,
1: I think I was the only ring in. I think everybody in that film was Melbourne-based, and I was the interloper. <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> yeah. To be honest,
1: to be my mum is from Melbourne and grew up Melbourne, so I'm I'm technically half oh. half Melbourne.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, anyone who is in Melbourne heading to see the Lion and Drum Team show, uh, I think that's every day on the Atrium Staircase. There's a Zodiac and Lantern installation down the Grand Staircase, which we'll all know from the Logies and the brown Logies, you know, big <laughs> staircase in the middle. <laughs> I think there are five of you in the film. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, And all Asian Australians with different backgrounds as a chef, a lawyer, like all telling your story of of growing up Asian in Australia and, and what, you know, Lunar New Year means. I think it's so, such a beautiful dedication for, you know, a really exciting festival. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be remiss of me not to ask if you have a quote as well, a quote of the yay for this episode that kind of either summarises what you feel about your experience as an Asian Australian or is advice or a tip or something for others to keep in mind who might be experiencing, you know, grappling with their identity and finding their place in the world. Is there a quote that you feel represents that journey for you?
1: I am going to, I'm not going to take credit for this because it is not my own quote.
0: <laughs> None of mine are, babe. Yeah, Don't worry. I just recycle not, other people's content. Exactly,
1: <laughs> but it is something that I think sums up everything that we've been talking about today and that is the beauty of the world lies in the diversity of its people.
0: Oh, that's perfect! Mm. Oh, I love that so much. And that, I mean, I focus so much on in this show on the diversity of pathway and how how the world couldn't function if we all had the same interests and and disinterests. But equally, same culturally, like when you see. Even something, and this is so silly, I get triggered by the Olympics. Like everyone who listens knows that any kind of big global event where nations get together, I like get really triggered and I just cry for no reason. (laughs) And then seeing their families get together and people sort of go beyond cultural differences or language barriers and just humanity connecting. When you see all different skin colours and shapes and sizes, you just realise like we're not supposed to all look like each other. It is so beautiful that we don't and i think that goes past us sometimes because we often see the same representation of beauty or perfection over and over again but like the fact we can all have different skin shades is and still like live in the same bodies and our skin still does the same thing like it just blows my mind
1: it's so cool i mean i mean how boring would life be if we all if we were all were, were but, I know. See, I can't speak. but you
0: know, <laughs> We made it this far. We've, yeah, done, pretty we've done, well done pretty well, well but, I mean,
1: how boring would it be if we were all the same? Honestly, I just, I so mean, I look at all my friends and everything and what I love in each of them is what makes them different. I don't like them because yeah. they all like the same TV show. Gosh, I mean, like the amount of arguments I have with my friends over what we <laughs> like in TV and books, I mean, you, we couldn't be more different. So, you know, a difference of opinion is interesting, difference in Mm. appearance and cultural diversity, like culturally, that is, you know, that's what makes us
0: interesting. Totally. There's so much richness in the world. And that is a perfect segue to my last question, which is about your recommendation. So the the books and movies that you do like, the ones that bring Mm. you yay, it doesn't have to be something recent or new, just anything that brings you joy it also doesn't have to be about cultural diversity or anything just anything that you love that makes you happy that you reckon everyone else should have a read of or
1: well read of or um, listen to <laughs> so I, I love reading and my goal for last year was to read as many books as I could and <gasps> good one. yeah I mean like it's I read a lot for me I'm sure people a lot of people read more but I read 31 books
0: that's a lot of yeah, books. Yeah,
1: it's a lot of books for me especially. Like there were some days where I did not put the book down. But sorry, the, I'm cheating though because I, 31 was yesterday I finished. A
0: okay. <laughs> it so, still counts. Yeah. Totally still uh, counts.
1: I never read Harry Potter. And so I' funny that you brought up Harry Potter because I never read it growing up. I was just like my, my brother was the exact same age as Harry when the movies came out and my brother loved the books. And because he loved the books, I was like, uh-uh.
0: Like we,
1: we're too different. No way I'm reading the books that Josh loves. Okay. I
0: think he's my age. How old is he? 30, 31. Yeah. Yeah, We're like more similar in age. And like, I think your year, your like year level just caught the, the yes. bit of it being dorky yeah. rather than it being cool. Yeah,
1: like I'm like the prime like Twilight. Like that was like I was Twilight. Oh you know yep. what I mean? like that yeah. Yeah okay. My
0: I miss that boat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. See? Cool. It's just a generation <laughs> <special laughs>
1: thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things that I've been meaning to read for so long, and I just I don't know. I had hadn't got around to it. There's so many other books I wanted to read, and then recently I went. nope, damn it. I'm I'm going to read all the books. Anyway, safe to say that. I obviously, you know, grab my brother's books. I read all seven. <gasps> it's been two weeks and I've read all seven. Do
0: you understand the magic? Are you like, why? How did I have a childhood without this? I, I
1: do. Not, I mean, like, because I love fantasy. So anything fantasy <gasps> is my jam. I,
0: Even more.
1: Like fairies, goblins, everything. Love it. I love magic. It's all the books that I've always read. So I, I, I feel, you know, I'm not mad about it though, because, you know, when you see those tweets that, you know, say, if you could have one book that you could read as an adult and never have read before like what would it be I I feel like I'm getting all of this enjoyment and satisfaction that I never had as a kid but I'm having it now and I'm like obsessed and I'm like walking around the house and I'm like I'm (laughs) I'm such a dork and my partner Nick's like what are you saying? And I'm
0: like, no. <laughs> and everyone else is like, babe, that is so like 1999.
1: Yes, I know.
0: Catch up. Literally, I mean, I literally
1: just went online to see which house would I be in? Like that was
0: um, so. Gryffindor for sure. I'm, I reckon
1: Ravenclaw. I don't know. Oh, I, You know what?
0: I think Ravenclaw, but I feel like, and I said this to someone else recently as well, because we obviously talk about Harry Potter <laughs> more than the average podcast for some weird reason yeah. because I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I feel like I would also be Ravenclaw, but I would tell the hat, but, mate, I want to be in Gryffindor because that's a place to be. Mm. So I feel like I'd do a Harry and I'd be like, I know you want to put me there, mm. but, like, I want to be part of the action also. But
1: Cedric Diggory so- was in Ravenclaw, so wasn't he? No, but he no, he was Ravenclaw.
0: No, he was in Gryffindor. Cedric With Harry? No, he
1: wasn't. I had just read the book. Wait, really? He was not in Gryffindor.
0: I'm Googling it right now.
1: I'm telling you right now because he was the captain of-
0: Oh, yes. Oh, my God. He was in Hufflepuff. Yes, Hufflepuff. Yeah. But you would definitely not be in Hufflepuff.
1: No, I wouldn't be in Hufflepuff.
0: No, you're you're not like woofty-wofty. No, but anyway, so you know? that, that has been like. <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's like serious business. I know. Exactly business. like the re- the dot points why you wouldn't yeah. be in X house but why you'd be in Y. It's serious yeah. business.
1: But that is what I have been reading and that has given me so many yays. You cannot oh, believe it. And I, because I've just finished thing. it as of like a day ago, I, I, I feel so sad now. But now oh, I can go and if- watch all the videos, the movies again.
0: Oh, they're amazing. Also, if I had said that Cho Chang joke like seven days ago, you wouldn't have got it. No, So I this know. was meant to
1: be. <laughs> I know. This is the thing. Like, when you brought it up, I was like, wow, we are we are on the same way. Like,
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I also, I can't even remember when I said this. I think it was in an episode that's come out already. Maybe not. But sorry, look, guys listening, you're going to hear this joke. Not joke, but you're going to hear this story twice. I had this intense belief at the time that I read it because I was of the age of Harry and his friends. Yeah. When I heard the movies were coming out, I was like, I am going to be Cho Chang. Like (laughs) I am going to exploit. This is why I am Asian so I can fulfill that role. Like this is why I was born and adopted to Australia so that I could speak English so that I could do a Scottish accent and be Cho Chang in Harry Potter. And when they didn't call me up for the movie, even though I didn't audition and wasn't an actress, I was Mm -hmm. so upset. I was like, hello, I've been here since I read the book waiting for my call up. (laughs) there are obviously no other Asian girls in the world at this exact age who's this obsessed with Harry Potter. How
1: come you didn't pick me? I'm uh, still I, upset. I, I still think you would have made a better Chang,
0: Right? I, not uh, Scottish, like I will, not based anywhere near there, yeah. but whatever. I will
1: speak to the directors. If I ever get up to them, <laughs> you know, I'll be talking to them.
0: You know what? when mm-hmm. e Australia interviews them, please have a word for me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I will I will do that for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also, you just mentioned your partner Nick and I forgot to ask about it. You just recently got engaged. Oh, Congratulations. Congratulations! This is quite funny because <gasps> I'm actually I'm showing I'm showing Sarah
1: my ring now, but as we hopped onto this podcast earlier, you did ask me about the engagement and I looked down and realised I'm not wearing my ring. And uh, <laughs> it's a constant. I don't know how to get used to wearing a ring all the time, but hopefully I will eventually. I mean, we'll it's probably weird. hopefully spend a long life together, so I better get used yeah. to it at some point.
0: <laughs> There'll be a moment, because I'm similar to you, not a big jewellery person, mm-hmm. and... Found it. And also, we were just talking about how we mainly shop at like La Visa and <laughs> Diva and Sports Girl for jewelry. So we were like, whoa, <laughs> this is not matching that. But there comes a moment when it flicks over to it feeling weird without you having it on. Mm. And then suddenly, like, it'll just click one day. And then suddenly, you're like, I feel naked without it. It's so weird. It'll just happen and you never know when it's coming. And then it's like, <gasps>
1: I feel nude. Yeah, It's like my Apple Watch. Every time I like, don't put it on, I'm mm. like, oh my God, I'm missing something. But I have a ter- Yeah, like, you
0: feel weird.
1: I have a terrible watch tan so covering it up
0: yeah they're not small they're not small you'll have a ring tan soon too you guys know do you have you started making plans
1: oh the wedding thing is like oh oh my god it is stressful (laughs) i don't know
0: it's a lot yeah i
1: think i am trying to push for nick to take the the lead on the wedding planning
0: i'm not really the organizer
1: i i'm just not really fast on a wedding personally. Right. But I think he, he would like a wedding. My family would like a wedding. His family might like a wedding. Um, yeah. so I feel like there will be a wedding.
0: At some point. Yeah, exactly. I'll have some input. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I think a little, little we'll just maybe give it a year and, and see how we go.
0: I mean, you've got a fur baby. That's a lot. Seriously.
1: I honestly, we, after we just gotten engaged and then we got our puppy and it was Christmas and everyone up until that point, a bit with me and maybe engaged for engaged for maybe about two three weeks. In that time, nobody stopped asking me about the wedding, the wedding, the wedding, the wedding. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. Stop asking me. We've got the puppy. Nobody has asked me really <laughs> about it. And it's been the best thing ever. So I've decided that maybe strategic. Exactly. I don't have to keep getting fur babies so that nobody asks me about the wedding.
0: <laughs> or you should just have your wedding at like a puppy. Like I've got this weird goal sort of Mm. future thing that one day I will open a theme park called Golden Retriever Land where if you're having a shit day, you can just go and like lie in a pile of puppies. Like that's just something that I've decided is going to be a thing. So you could get married in like Vishla land. Do you
1: know that in Japan they actually have things called cat cafes? Yes, Yes, but weird, so Japanese. (laughs) Yes, I know, but they have other places as well that have kittens and puppies and it's for when you're feeling down or you just need something. You go in and they just have puppies and kittens and they, like, jump all over you and dogs and everything. So... It's absolutely doable, and I think you should do it, and I will hundred percent back you because I would be there every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like it's gonna be the Yaberhood. It'll be like a Yaberhood hangout right, for when God. you need a dose yes. of yay, but in person. And I yeah, I've just decided that that's what I'm gonna do one day. I'm gonna be the puppy lady. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And do you know also, this is so random, but in Hong Kong mm. for similar needs, when you're, not when you're feeling down, but when you're feeling tired because the crazy hours they work, the hard partying, like the just not sleeping anytime in Hong Kong, they have a bus for naps that just does a five-hour loop and like tired students and work people can just get on the bus if they don't, don't want to sleep on like a park bench or they can't sleep in their office and you can just sleep on there. You're kidding. Amazing, right? And that's, that's one really stereotype cool. I can say from working in Asia. Mm-hmm. Asians fall asleep everywhere. They absolutely fall asleep at their desks.
1: I have to say I think I did inherit, I, I don't know if it's cultural thing or I don't know, it's in our DNA, but I did inherit the ability to fall asleep absolutely anywhere, anytime. I mean like growing As up. As did I. Yeah, growing up it was like my parents' favourite thing to do when we were at a restaurant, especially a Chinese restaurant, to put us underneath the table and like we never had like bedtime, you know what I mean? Like my parents never let us disturb their life, so we got under yeah. the table, and I'd sleep under the table. And in like the loudest restaurants, we'd be at bars and, and you know pubs. I'd be under the table, sleeping on the floor, totally fine all the time. I can oh sleep. I can sleep sitting. I can sleep though sitting
0: up. So can I. Oh yeah. my god, it's crazy. And I, we're a good experiment because we're like we're the perfect test of nature versus nurture, because we don't know our genetics and everything really has to be either nurture. But if it didn't come from our parents, then it's nature. I'm like, wow, that's the genes. Because when I got to Hong Kong, I worked there for about a year. I was calling my Nick every day and being like, it's true. Like they literally just head down on the desk, like put their their hands down and then foreheads on hands and just sleep for their lunch break. And then by four months in, he was like, we'd FaceTime and he's like, what's that? I'm like, what, my pillow? He's like, on the floor in your office? I'm like, yeah, for my nap. And he's like, you've become one of them. I was like, yeah, I get it. It's awesome. Like they, they take really long lunch breaks for some reason. And like, if you go to work late, I might as well use that time. It only takes me 15 minutes to eat. I'm going to sleep for 45 minutes.
1: That is amazing. I need to go. I think great. I need to move to... China or Asia or Hong Kong, anywhere. And I think that sounds like my kind of lifestyle because I love a good nap in the middle of the day.
0: <laughs> well, you can start the bu- the sleep bus in Australia. Oh I'll goodness. start the puppy the puppy play date thing and you start the sleepy yes. bus and we've got it covered.
1: Done. Um, needs this crew to you? and I can start a sleepy yeah.
0: bus. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't even need this podcast anymore. No. I'm just going to go buy some puppies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's our last one. Sayonara. Yeah.
0: You. Yeah. Thanks guys for joining. It's been a great journey. Um, I love you all, but I'm leaving for the puppies. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining. Lovely. I can't wait to see what you continue to do with the amazing platform that you've, you know, grown and the, the audience that you've built and keep being just a wonderful role model for so many people.
1: Thank you. And you, I think that, um, this is a moment to say, like, you know, I look up to you as well in the industry and it's nice to have a fellow Asian-Australian, you know, that you kind of work alongside. And we haven't really had the opportunity to
0: actually like meet in person, but um, it's
1: really beautiful to be able to like connect like this.
0: Oh, you too. It really means a lot and it's been just such a great conversation.
1: Absolutely.